Hey, hey, good bitches, and welcome to this week's episode of Good Bitch. I'm Jules, Rangi Heyuwear. And I'm Jodie Clark, and we're just two good bitches trying to live good lives. Today we have the gorgeous Chantal Otten, a renowned sexologist who is passionate about empowering people of all genders and identities to feel great about sex. And we're all about that here at Good Bitch. Thank you for joining us. Hey. <laughs> Yay. Let's do it. <laughs> now, Freedom Day for Melburnians. Mm. How are you celebrating, my love? I went and got an iced coffee in the sun and I'm getting lots of margaritas tonight. I'm so pumped. Yeah. Oh, we're so excited. <laughs> we were just talking off air, GBs, um, how it, it's so different from we're used to drinking in the living room wine and I think we can drink quite a lot. And yes. last weekend, uh, Jodes and I had two ciders at the pub legless yes, like blackout there is a difference in the air oxygen or yes, something it's crazy yeah. it catches up with you now after mm. that wee break doesn't it it's that, it's that post-pandemic trauma <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well we're not even post yet it's mid-pandemic yes. trauma i know it's a bit so, like that yeah. we don't want to celebrate too hard but yes. fuck if you don't celebrate these days when can we absolutely yeah, absolutely. absolutely now Chantal, we kick off every episode with our special guests by asking them the same question so I hope you'll indulge us here I hope this is your thing but we've got to ask you what's your love language oh god sausage dog um, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I always say to Dylan we have a sausage dog called sauce he is my love language but my main love language is I I've got two and I'm going to go top two. It's words of affirmation and physical touch. Mm. I I did pick physical touch, obviously, because of your profession. I didn't pick words of affirmation. Interesting. What's your most, what's your least? Least. Gifts. I couldn't care. Couldn't care less, Mm. to be honest. (laughs) <laughs> the same with me couldn't care less I'll take him yeah. I'll take him but I don't I don't I also think like my love language is um making other people feel good like it's a really selfish thing for me I love making people feel good then I feel really good it's yeah no, that's a it's beautiful that's a beautiful thing we love that so much so today I'm so excited because we finally get to talk about Yay. the sex ed you never had which I read in two sittings really? yes wow. so Chantel on the very first page Uh, You write, I was never very studious, but more focused on people. I was curious about what happened in others' lives and I enjoyed talking about topics that were considered more taboo. Now, we feel that on a spiritual level here at Good Bitch. Can you talk us through your journey from leaving school to becoming a professional sexologist? Sure. So I... As a person, I have (laughs) major difficulties with attention Um, and I really feel like the only way I can get interested in people is really understanding. Like I, people call me a bit of a witch. Like I know their secrets from meeting them. I know what I'm, I know where the like the spots are. Um, And I don't go there, of course, because I have to remain sensitive, but I always knew in high school that I had this kind of gift to understand people on a deeper level if, um, you know, if I wanted to. And so I kind of harnessed that and I, I decided to do psychology after school because it was so natural to me. And because 
My family has always been involved in helping others. I have a sister with an intellectual disability. I've been always very involved in the disabled community. And um, my parents used to do a lot of volunteer work in Papua New Guinea. So we used to go over there and build women's shelters and hospitals. So for me, it was like so natural. So I did psych. I didn't really feel like I wanted to be a generalized psychologist because I don't think I'd be a a great therapist for, for my patients. I'm really like... I like talking about things that are off topic. I'm a bit goal orientated. So, you know, with sexology, I don't want to be seeing people forever. I want to, I want them to be, you know, well on their way of having a really good time. Um, but I didn't really know like sexology existed. So I was doing organizational psychology at the time, which is bizarre because I'm the most unorganized person in the world. I just fluked that. <laughs> Probably gave away money. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, my parents fired me from the one day working with them because I gave away $20,000 on that day. I don't know how <laughs> I did it. But um, yeah, I my mom sent me a TED talk while I was doing that because I was starting to get a little bit over it. And it was from Esther Perel and she was talking about infidelity we all know esther perel she is like a queen we love her Mm -hmm. we are so lucky to have her in our generation and um i thought why can't i talk about sex like she talks about infidelity like she talks about desire who's talking about this topic from my generation who would i go see you know if i had an, an a concern you know is it well included within the healthcare space and i really found like there were some amazing, you know, sex therapists here, but there was so much more to do. And there wasn't really anyone that I knew at that stage around my or our kind of generation bracket, like our age range. So I decided to do my science med degree specializing in sexual medicine through Sydney University. And then I studied, I moved to Amsterdam. So I have a Dutch passport and um, I did my sexology degree there and I had a mentorship there. And then I um, did the European Society of Sexual Medicine School in Budapest. And, you know, I just, I just was like, I need to go, go, go. And I need to be the best that I can be because I've got to bring all of that back to Australia. And so I came back at 26 and I started my clinic I think I had my first patient early January 2017 because I looked it up the other day so it's been a bit of a journey wow and so needed here we find that even with the podcast I mean I barely finished year 10 but I think it's just because we're so open about sex so many people come to us with their medical problems relationship problems I'm like shit like I just have one night stands I'm so (laughs) not equipped so I can only imagine how flooded you guys must get Mm, yeah well I have over 20 staff I've just on either side of this podcast I've got meetings with new staff so we'll have three starting next week it's just it's also like hard to find because you know you need to be you need to have qualifications in this area of course but yeah I'm just I'm so grateful because I have the most amazing team and we have a really safe beautiful space a great online presence of course we do online therapy but also in Melbourne we have a beautiful clinic as well well Chantel just circling back to your family that you mentioned I've read that the topic of sex in the Otten household was openly discussed and considered and I quote an important part of an individual's life what exactly does that look like it's not in detail like we're not sharing like what positions we're doing and stuff but like you know very open like my dad would always be like sex is in you need to have sex in your relationship like it is important and look I'm saying like that is his view a lot of people 
you know, you don't have to, if you don't feel like sex is important to you, there is no pressure from my end for anyone to feel like they need to be having sex if you really don't want it. But if it is something that you want to do, you just, you know, are in a bit of a predicament or you're a bit stuck, then seeing someone like myself is an option. But my family was like, how would I say it? Like, it wasn't like we spoke about it all the time. It's not like we, it's not like we really even spoke about like, like, I don't know, contraception or or like safe sex that much. It was just that we, we could talk about sex. Like we were allowed to have sex. We were allowed to have a safe space in our house. Mm -hmm. Um, it was encouraged. Like we were given condoms. We were like, it was just respected. It wasn't taboo. So mm-hmm. in saying that, of course, there are things that have been taboo. I'm really like, I have really challenged the the narrative in our household with the work that I do and I guess who I am as a person. But my parents have been amazing and my, you know, my siblings have been amazing in just accepting um, who I am in this space and, you know, just trying to understand this profession a lot more. So I'm really grateful for that. Mm. Amazing. Mm. And just uh, off the back of that, how would you describe the European attitudes towards your line of work and sex as a whole compared to where we now live in Australia? Because from our end... We think it's so much more conservative. There's, there's a there's a lot more work to do. You know, I feel like it's so conservative here. How do, mm. how do you feel? Yeah. So I mean, I feel like in Holland everything was like a lot more open. But I have to, I guess, really think about it in a way that there were a lot more sexologists there Mm. but also like I was in a kind of privileged sexuality bubble Mm. you know I was surrounded by people who were sex experts so I can't like stereotype but I do know that it's a lot more open the sex education is phenomenal in schools like you start learning about consent just like even around like hugs and kissing from age four upwards Mm. so one of the ladies that I really had a pleasure of meeting along this um, sexology journey is a lady named Sandrine and she wrote the the sex ed books for Holland and for Germany and I have them all here Um, and they're just cartoon books so they talk about you know the variety of genders of sexual preferences of family dynamics blended families you know same-sex parent families caregivers Uh, we talk about like you have to ask to give a hug. You have wow. to like have aff- affirmation for the, for it to be okay. So yeah, it's like totally different. Like I was quite shocked reading those books thinking, wow, I wish I had learned that when I was younger, it would probably saved me from a few sticky situations. A hundred percent. I feel like, you know, bless my mother and father. They did as well as they could. But I remember going down to the rugby club and then being like, go give uncle Dave a kiss, this old man I'd never met in my yeah, life. I know. We've talked about it a lot, how crazy it is. The, the earlier you can start to teach children to have autonomy around their body and, mm. and in control, I think the better mm-hmm. really. Now, Chantelle, why was it so you've got you've created this incredible book, right? It's gorgeous looking and obviously just full of so many truths in our language, which is what yeah, we love. Yeah, that's we, what I was saying to Joe. It's we love written about it. exactly how my girlfriend yes. speaks. You're not talking Ruth. down to anyone. Mm-hmm. It's so relatable. It's why we love it. Why was it so important for you to create the sex ed you never had? 
For, for exactly that, like mm. where did we go to talk about these topics? There was just this common narrative around my patients, um, around my followers that were just like had no idea of some of the basic fundamentals of, you know, our bodies, our anatomy, you know, our menstrual cycles, what so, like sexual concerns are out there, you know, and yeah, I really felt like we needed to have a baseline education. And mm. it's a really interesting one because I think whenever you give out information like this, you know, I of, of course I give out sex um, ed on my Instagram as well. Everyone has something to say, but I really liked how this book was just like a go-to place and it has, you know, it can be redeveloped in a couple of years. It's one that you can build on. You can really bulk it out as you go along. So for me, it's it's an exciting one because I know how much it will even improve in the future, this kind of information. But I just wanted people to have like a foundation to be able to even chat about what's going on with them. Exactly yeah. that. Well, from someone who has um, struggled with body image issues all of my life, I was so mm-hmm pleasantly surprised when an entire chapter came up about uh, positive body image and then I thought well fuck of course good sex and positive body image kind of do go hand in hand when Mm. I look at it from a bird's eye view do individuals come in and see you or your staff with what they originally thought was just a sex question for you to immediately recognize it as body image issues Yeah, of course. I mean, most of the time sex is like the last thing that we talk about Mm -hmm. in my sessions. There's so much to unpack, you know. A a sexual concern is like the tip of the iceberg usually. It might be a symptom of really other, like a lot of other complex things. And body image is extremely complex, especially for our generation. And, you know, if you look at how much media has changed since we were growing up, you know, I definitely know a lot of people have struggled with body image, with eating, you know, with all of these things. And I we didn't have these kind of amazing role models that we could see on social media that we we do now like it's only been in the past probably two years that I've even really noticed like how diverse or like how much healthier the image is across social media and it's still got a long way to go of course but if you feel you know bad within your body if you feel like you're stuck in a prison you can't let you know open the doors for someone to come in then it's it's Mm. Very hard to be open and vulnerable in the bedroom. Well, you just touched on it then slightly, but one of our beautiful GBs is what we call our listeners. She linked us up with you when she tagged us on your IG stories discussing normalising the vastly different appearance of vulvas. Mm -hmm. Uh, We personally were overwhelmed with how many of our listeners resonated with our episode, Your Vagina is Normal. Mm -hmm. Is this a common theme with vulva owners at your practice? Yeah, well, we don't really, I mean, I don't know if you can look down and see your revolver. I can't because it's underneath, Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't get encouraged to look at our vulvas. You know, with a penis, I think it's very easy to look and you can, you know, see the, the variety. And then with vulvas... You know, you have to be encouraged to get out a mirror and have a look. Mm. Now, no one tells us to do that. You know, we don't learn about that in school. We don't even see usually what a vulva looks like. Mm. And in media, there have been regulations around what is, you know, allowed to be shown. And that usually comes down to the labia minora, which is the inner lips of the vulva. Usually they are edited to appear tidier Mm -hmm. or smaller. And even like I was listening to 
an audible book of Holly Madison. She was one of Hugh Hefner's um, girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you listened to it? How she talks about Hugh would never let any of his girlfriends have protruding labia minora. And in the Playboy magazine, you, I don't even like if there was like an open section or whatever, you were not allowed to see anyone who had like protruding labia. So we have been influenced by a generation of like, patriarchal you know old misogynistic men who are kind of abusive like telling us the way that we're meant to look and that has kind of flowed down into our media and told us that we're not good enough and we should have vulvas that look a certain way now i didn't even realize this until i was in my 20s i didn't realize that vulvas were like vastly different I'd never even thought about it. I really liked mine. You know, I got told it was beautiful. So I I thought everyone's like that. Mm. I didn't realize that people felt particularly Mm. bad about their vulvas um, until, you know, maybe I became a practitioner, which is around 25. Yeah, well, about with our episode, Your Vagina is Normal, we dig into that, how Playboy used to edit out. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hustler. And Hustler used to edit out. We, we were kind of mm-hmm. fucked because we grew up in the mm-hmm. internet culture where, um, you know, first my first viewing of watching porn, the most perfect pussy I've, I'd ever seen, and I'd look down mm-hmm. and just cry. So That's yeah, why I like yeah. amateur porn because at least you actually get to see real people having real sex and it makes I you feel... I love OnlyFans. Yeah. I just love OnlyFans. Exactly. I honestly, like, people give it such a hard rap. I'm like, it is, like, ethical, mm-hmm. you know, pornography from people who are choosing to show us, like, give us a gift of their bodies. Like, it is amazing. It's so crazy. Mm. But I will tell you, you know... I talk a lot about vulvas with my patients and um, obviously like I'm not hands-on, I'm not a doctor looking at vulvas, but I work with a great team and I often refer patients who are concerned about their vulvas or who want labiaplasty to my friends who are gynecologists um, just to reassure them like if it's not functionally like just like bothering you so like sometimes labia minora can flap in with sex with mm. penis in vagina sex or it can be protruding and and makes someone feel un- like i guess subconscious how do you say the word it's like gone like, from my mind now. like friction i'm um, embarrassed yep. no no like embarrassed um around wearing bathers or like oh, certain right. bikinis mm. um but yeah there can also be friction like that's a consideration for a surgery but just having a labia that's like a little bit lopsided or like my, mm. my labia menorah is like big, mm. like bigger, mm. like that wouldn't be, that's not a problem. Mm. That's okay. We should accept that it, we're all like snowflakes, you know, we've got beautiful coochies that just look different. A hundred percent. Well, it goes without saying, we, we get a lot of these types of questions out here at Good Bitch, uh, a lot of sex questions, a lot of body image questions. But we find that, um, mm. particularly with sex, a reoccurring question and the same theme keeps coming up for us, Chantal, and it's nervousness and insecurities around mm. communicating sexual needs and preferences. So look, we thought we'd go to you. What could you tell our GBs when it comes to asking their partner to do something differently? I think, first of all, like, do you know what you want? I think that would be a good thing. And if you don't know what you want, like, that's okay. But, like, masturbation is really important there because then you can guide someone to, Mm. like, to touch you in a certain way. To communicate it, there's a few rules that I have. I like to use a bit of a compliment sandwich because I don't know if you've ever been told like, 
that's not right. Like you're not doing that good or like you give really bad head. Like I wouldn't want to give you head if you were telling me that, like it's not going to work that way. So don't criticize your sexual partner. Like they're in a very vulnerable position as well. Mm. And they're human as well. Don't expect them to know how your body likes to be pleased. You have to show them the way. So be like, Hey, like, oh my God, I love it when you go down on me. Can you like, can we just go to the side a little bit more? Or I'm going to, I'm going to show you where my clit is. Here it is. Touch it with your finger. I love it when you rub around it. Let's put some lubricant on there. Can you use your tongue in this way? That's amazing. I love that. Let's keep going that kind of way. Or like afterwards you can say, I would love to teach you how I like to be pleased. Let me show you with my vibrator first and then maybe we can transition to you using it. Like it's really about being a teen there. If you make them feel ashamed by the way that they're trying to pleasure you, there's going to be difficulties. Now, if they're not pleasuring you, if they are like a selfish lover, if you're coming away going, why was I even there? Am I just a vessel in this experience? Then that's probably a bit of a more um, structured conversation. So that needs to be like, I feel like there is a an imbalance in our sex life. I feel like you're just there so you can, you can have pleasure. And I'm not really getting that much. So can you commit to giving me some more pleasure? You know, can we work it out? Is that of interest to you? And I think that that's a really important conversation to have, especially if you want to go the distance with someone. I also think like there will be times in long-term relationships, you're, you're going to have a different sexual appetite every couple of months. Like you're not going to want to have the same type of sex every single time mm-hmm. you get into the sack, but also every six months you have to say like, Do I want wild kinky sex right now or am I like, I really want just like soft, like connection sex or I just want them to go down on me. I don't even want penetration at this period in my life. Like that is something that you need to be actually quite um, aware of within yourself and you need to, I guess, be a little bit more present in what your own needs are so that you can communicate them. I love that, Chantelle. It sounds like you kind of weaved it into dirty talk. It doesn't kind of sound like a, um, you know, a sit down meeting of yes. what we want. Yeah, it's kind of the nibbling mm. on the earlobes and tell me what you want. Yeah. Love that. Rather than yeah. being instructional. I, f- I feel comforted now because yeah. I feel like that's the advice we've been giving out. Yeah. So awesome. Um, another one of our most highly rated apps. Mm. Would you agree with that, yes. Jules? Yes. This one was off the charts. Featured one of our beautiful quadriplegic GBs, um, the beautiful Rhiannon Tracy. Now, you're in a high-profile relationship yourself with tennis champ Dylan Alcott. Mm-hmm. Um, like you, we went about this episode, we opened up the conversation around disability and sexuality, something we want to, we want to do with our platform also. Is there one piece of advice that you could give an able-bodied person like Jules and I about sex and disability? What would your one piece of advice be? Just ask the person who has a disability what they what they like. And if they don't know, commit to working it out together. You know, it's just like any any new sexual relationship or sexual encounter that you have with someone, you're going to feel nervous. You're not going to know what that other person likes because you've never slept with them before. It's the same with someone who has a disability. Like it's, it's really not much different. There may be some different considerations around mobility. You might have to use some toys, but 
it's actually, I mean, who wouldn't want that? It's actually better yeah. because you can bring you can bring in the toys that you like into the bedroom. You can also just get someone to guide you along the way. And look, if they if they're a little bit unsure, then you say, well, let's figure it out together, like you would with any yeah. sexual mm. partner. You know, it's I think it's crazy that people think that it's going to be super different. It's not. It's mm. really just about having that conversation and working out what is good for you two or three or four whoever's involved in this encounter perfect advice so simple gosh it is really simple and um would you agree that people just make assumptions based out of fear when it's really just as simple as just communicating with the person ask them what they're into yeah 100 percent. you know i think there's a lot of people that feel like those with a disability are not sexual beings and that's absolutely not true hundred hundred so I'm going to circle back to this book and I will Mm. stop talking about it one day, but today is not the day. (laughs) Not the day. The sexual debut chapter, I really, really wish I had this in high school because I felt so pressured to lose my virginity and I really regret how it all panned out. Mm. Why are you so passionate about reframing the terminology we use when it comes to sex? First of all, I'm sorry that you had a bad experience. I think that that's a really common message that I hear. And I know of some friends that even, you know, I was actively part of um, friendship groups. And I remember my friends kind of going into sexual experiences that I really wish wasn't, you know, happening and wasn't their first time. And I think that, you know, right now, in terms of my content on my Instagram, I'm focusing a lot on mental health, psychiatry and sexuality. And I can really also look back and and think of a lot of people I knew that were probably going through some stuff that were in like in unsafe situations. In terms of sexual debuts, the reason why we need to change the messages around that is because of this toxic view that we had, you know, I need to lose my virginity, blah, 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 took Chantelle's virginity you know what is there to be taken like there's no popping of the cherry there's nothing to be taken you don't own my virginity if we have sex and I don't owe anyone anything plus what is sex you know is sex about penis and vagina because that is ruling out a whole part of the lgbtqia plus community Mm. and those with different abilities as well or conditions like erectile dysfunction or vaginismus i really think that we need to change this narrative around virginity and the construct of it and really just talk about what do you consider sex and and how do you feel safe with your first time and you know, how do we start these conversations with people who will be going into those situations where they're having sex for the first time? So I can't change what has happened to people now, but I can really help by giving with, you know, so much information with this book, I guess the experiences of the people that are younger than us and our little sisters and brothers and cousins and children, you know, that we can help um, feel safer in those kind of scenarios. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you don't know how much something affects you until a lot later in life. A hundred percent. Now, uh, something else we really appreciate about you, Chantal, is how open and honest you are. Of course, you almost brought me to tears. I think she did, actually, when you had the recent sort of, I don't know if I'd call it a breakdown, but it was a, a obviously a sensitive moment for you on your IG story uh, because our listeners will know that I had burnout earlier this year. I started crying live on an app. Yeah. I had to walk out. It was really with a guest. It was really embarrassing, and yeah. um, I just completely, I just completely related. Yeah, 
It's okay. And Jodes wants to ask, how do you nurture yourself during stressful periods? Jodes, you know what? I've got tears in my eyes as well because it's so fucked up. Like the way that we are taught to keep going and to sacrifice our health um, and to, I guess, be so oriented on achieving and pushing ourselves to breaking point. And I think that we are so sensitive as beings that we don't realize how fragile we are sometimes and how little things like feeling lonely or feeling unwell or being hormonal can tip us over the edge. So I'm glad that I could give you, I guess, a sense of normality around that time because any of us can be in that place. And I think, you know, I don't even remember what the question was, but I'm going to ramble for a minute. (laughs) Um, I really think that some people will look at me on social media and think she's a therapist. Why would she put that kind of information out there? Why would she show her skin? Why would she wear clothes that she wears? Why would she be emotional? Why would she cry on her Instagram? Because I'm a fucking human being and I'm normal. And the only way I can influence my patients, my followers and tell them that they are healthy and they're normal as well and that it's okay to have breakdowns is that I show that actual human side of myself. So how do we, I think it was, how do we nourish ourselves after burnout during this time? It takes time and it takes a village. You know, I'm not doing this by myself. You know, I have my best friends that are there to take care of me. I can be very insular when I'm not in a good place. And I will admit that like at the moment, there's so much going on. We've also been in lockdown, all of Australia for such a long period of time that I can't imagine anyone that would like feel like, that amazing Mm. at this period of time like anything can topple you over the edge so we really have to come from a place with kindness I feel and I I don't know what your thoughts are I'm looking at social media at the moment and I'm not finding it the most positive space Mm. I'm finding that it's quite negative and critical and there's a lot around cancel culture right now so I think that is a real indication that people are frustrated, people are angry, people are unhappy. And when you are working in a space where you are constantly being looked at, like both of you are, um, but even in your workplace, when you have people like around you, if other people don't feel good and they don't have the tools to nourish themselves, they're going to project. And if you don't know how to um, take care of yourself, it can, it can lead like to a really dangerous place. So, to build yourself up, you just need to take time. Don't overcommit. There's no rush to get to where you need to get to. The world's still going to be there the next day when you wake up. Um, and I think, you know, those emails are still going to be in your inbox. Those text messages will sit there. You don't need to be accountable to every single person because you don't work for them. Mm. You work for yourself. Your health is the most important. And people often ask me, like, what does success mean to you? Success to me is feeling healthy enough to be able to take care of myself so I can take care of the people around me. And I really think that mental health is is the most important part of that, you know. And I, I really see that right now there are a lot of people struggling. And I've lost a family member to mental health before, and I think that we just don't discuss those kind of vulnerabilities enough. So if I can say it, if I can show that I can have a really shit time, I can have burnout, I can have a breakdown, other people can say I'm burnt out right now and I need to stop and take a minute and really reassess where I'm going with all of this. 100%. 
It's like she took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. I was going to say everything that you yeah. just said, Chantal. That's what Jodes applied, didn't you? One hundred percent. And I'm I'm mm. feeling uh, so much better now. Yeah. But I just remember seeing Chantal in that moment. I remember I messaged you. I was like, Wow, like yeah, this, this is was me. this was me weeks ago. Mm. And yeah. um, I think I even sent you the book Fried yeah, yeah. because I w- I could just see myself in you. Yeah. Um, and look yeah. at look at how important that was for you to put that vulnerable it moment up. It affected me through social media mm. because you were open mm. and, and raw and real and honest. And I'm sure I wasn't the only one. You know, I'm sure you were flooded yeah. with messages. Yeah, it was nice. I think it was like that was just a big period of time in my life. The funniest thing was I was gonna um, that day that I was crying, I was going to um, Dylan was overseas and I was going to catch up with my friends Andy and Alex and. Um, I bailed on them. I was like, I'm not feeling that. T- I'm yeah. not feeling good today. Like I'm, I'm feeling sick. I didn't tell them that I was like in a really bad place. I went up the road with with my dog. Like I have blue hair. Like I'm recognizable. People know me in my area. I was all covered up. I had a cap on, glasses, and a puffer. And I was like, I'm incognito. I ran into seven people I know. Oh. It was one of those days. Where they were like, what is happening? And then I ran into my friends Alex and and um, Andy. And they were like, oh, my God, how are you feeling? And that's when I was just like, yeah. <laughs> just crying. And it's, do you know what it is? It's because you see people that you feel safe with, that you love, that you know will care for you. Yeah. Um, and that that is sometimes also like you can't hold it in. Like yeah. your body's so fragile. Well, yeah. I go insular like you. Like I go yeah. total hermit mode. But obviously yeah. in that moment, you know, where were we, bitches? The universe wanted you to be with people that love you. It wanted you to have connection mm. in that moment. So, yeah. so glad you found it. Mm. Mm. Well, we're going to start wrapping up the interview mm. part before we get into our GB questions. But Chantel Otten, we wrap up mm-hmm. every interview with the same question. And that is, what's well, something you've never told anyone before? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's something that people don't really know about you? Because with high-profile people, it gets a bit yeah, hard. Yeah, because you're so open. Mm. It's like uh, no, there's a lot that people don't know about me because I don't work for the for the world. Exactly. You know? I, <laughs> and I'm I'm a le- I like keeping secrets. That's my job first and foremost. But for for me, like being mysterious is like part of my eroticism. I have to hold a bit in. I can't really tell you because I don't even know. Like, I feel like, uh, what would people not know about me? Um, I am an abs. Uh, it's not very interesting. No, I can't tell yes. you my interesting secrets. Too raunchy. <laughs> That's fine. Um, no, I think like probably people think like I'm a really kind of organized, neat person. It's the opposite. Like I need help. I tell my friends, I'm like, why don't you come over for breakfast at my place? They'll come over. I'll literally lock them in the house and be like, you need to help me organize my wardrobe. (laughs) I'll be like, I don't know how to put these clothes away. Like my brain, I really struggle with it. My brain does not work in that way. So I'm like, yeah. And my mom also like, my mom's like, I'm worried about you. I haven't heard from you. Are you overwhelmed by the amount of chaos in your house? Dylan, he's also so funny. I'm like, you're making me work in my own house. And he's like, he's like, between two and four today, we are cleaning up. And I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to. me. (laughs) So like, I really like that is part of me. Like all my staff know, like whenever I'm hiring someone new, I'm like, I am not organized. If you want something, you're going to have to hassle me. Like, I 
I'm obviously very successful in what I do because I get it done. But if you really want something, you're going to have to hound me for it. And I'm so here for that. <laughs> you know what? That is like my girl Jodes here. Like I, yeah. I think I got a new bed frame and she was like, oh, I couldn't be bothered. I just got someone to come over and build it for me. I was like, in what world do you live in? I love pack. I know I do love flat packing. I love flat packing. Okay. So oh, my first. Yeah, my friend Izzy, I um, she helps me out with my organization. I, I pay her to help me with my organization. And she is like, why do you keep buying flat packing stuff? stuff? And I'm like, because it makes me feel calm. Like, I love flat packing. It's crazy. My dad hates it because he's a builder. And I've, I'm like, hey, you want to come around for a drink? And then I'm like, let's put together this bed. <laughs> and he's like... Oh my god! Like he's like no. Oh, <laughs> it's a love it. It's just the setup it's a setup. Yeah. All right, good bitches. We hope you've loved part one with the beautiful Chantal Otten. You're gonna have to stay and wait until next week to hear all of your questions answered. But follow your gals at Good Bitch Pod, and we'll see you for part two. 